1: cars at the port
2: uh it's an imitation letter from the aso oh um they won't release the cars from the lima port without the imitation letter okay slightly important (laughs) i got people there sitting there waiting for them so
1: (laughs) logistics always important welcome to the nascar nbc podcast i'm your host nate ryan Today here at Robbie Gordon Motorsports, north of the Charlotte uptown area, where I'm joined by the guy whose name is on the title here, Robbie Gordon. Robbie, thanks for making time. Appreciate it.
2: Well, hey, thanks for having me on, Nate. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, it has been. So the reason we're talking today is you've got a lot happening here at the shop today. Just got an email here a minute ago telling you that your UTV has arrived in Lima. Yeah,
2: we've got uh, vehicles that have arrived in Lima. Uh, They're looking for their invitation letters Uh um, for the rally. So, you know, it's very different than a normal race. You know how difficult it was when just NASCAR teams went down to Mexico City or back when we used to go to to Motegi Japan stuff like that it's very similar to the Motegi program where you have to send all your parts and everything has to be documented everything has to be on a carnet and you better have the exact parts that you have listed when you get there or else the thing can get impounded and seized for a while so for us it's um it's a bit of a logistical nightmare <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time it's uh it's probably one of the coolest races in the world obviously uh, Daytona you know here in the United States ranks up at the top with the Indy 500 uh, but on the world stage, uh, the Dakar Rally is kind of like Monaco Grand Prix, or like Daytona 500, or Indianapolis 500. It's it's one of the big uh, big four.
1: The reason I'm talking to Robbie today is the Dakar Rally, which he is running again this year after a two-year two hiatus.
2: Um, okay. Basically, um, you know, two years ago we we built a vehicle that um, that we built for gravel roads, and it wasn't very good in the sand, and it was very good on on hard-packed uh, gravel roads, mountain terrain, uh, WRC rally terrain. It was it was very good. We actually won uh, we won three stages with the Gordini on the on the hard pack stuff, but in the sand it just dug itself a hole with a solid axle. What I mean a solid axle is the rear's connected together like a NASCAR has a solid axle in the back where the vehicle were taken this year and the, the original Hummers were independent rear suspension so uh, they weren't tied together with a solid axle.
1: So this year you were running a UTV is what it's called.
2: Right? You can call it a UTV. It's a it's a blown up UTV. This one's a little bigger than what you would drive to your local uh, Articat Textron store and pick up but it's um, it is based on a on a UTV. Uh, it looks similar uh, it's just uh, just quite a bit bigger, like a large class one car or formula off-road car for that matter. They do have two seats and they, they kind of appear like a UTV, but it's a, it's a 110 mile an hour UTV.
1: I want to get into the car, Robbie, but let's talk a little bit more first about going back to Dakar. I remember talking to you at Indianapolis. This would have been like 11 years ago when you were preparing for going over to when the Dakar rally was actually in Senegal, actually in Africa. And you were saying logistically, we have to have everything buttoned up before we leave and fly to another continent because once you get there you can't just go out and buy batteries or missing parts or pieces everything's gonna be buttoned up now that it's based in south america the entire race is run in peru i assume it's a little bit different in terms of getting there but logistically is it just as much of a challenge as it's the been?
2: same thing because they're they're race cars you know these are not production cars that um that come off the dealer floor and you go out and, and get parts for it these are purpose-built production race cars um you know they they resemble the uh the production car but they're uh, they're a cup car for for off road or an Indy car for off road or, or for that matter a formula 1 car for off road but uh, these little little UTVs, I think this year with the sand dunes, will give, us a, will give us an advantage. I think there's some places we have an advantage and there's some places we have a disadvantage. But the biggest thing is uh, is being able to run for 3,000 miles.
1: The course is uh, virtually all dunes this year. It's completely in Peru. Tell me about how that's going to be different versus pastures.
2: Well, I think, you know, the dunes obviously create a new challenge because it, it's very hard to read the terrain. Um, because you, you never know, you know, on gravel roads, you can kind of see a little bit of distance, but every time you go over a dune, you never know what's on the other side of that dune. Uh, there could be a car that was in front of you that flipped over. There could be what we call a witch eye, Witch eye is, is something that's made by the sand and it's just a real sharp little, looks like a witch eye. And if you hit that, the way it's angled, it basically just sucks you in. And it's a, it's a sudden stop and it can break suspension, uh, at the same time, it could get you stuck and you could spend hours digging yourself out, could break tie rods. There's a lot of variables that happen in the dunes. And I would say the dunes are more of a challenge than even the gravel roads because it uh, turns into a, a navigation driver challenge to to navigate through the dunes without one getting stuck and two um, crashing by going too fast over the top of one of those dunes,
1: and this car that you've built this year is optimized for this course it's yeah.
2: optimized for the dunes it, we probably have uh, we probably have ourselves an advantage when it comes to dunes now, where we don't have advantages. We we're going to top out at you know ninety or 105, 110 miles an hour. They're talking about already implementing a speed rule for us because they think that we're going to have too much of an advantage through the dunes. When we registered, we didn't register as a UTV. We registered as a score vehicle to be able to go and race against the top cars. And uh, nowhere in the rules did it say uh, score vehicles had a had a speed limit. But um, now all of a sudden in the rules, it seemed to have popped up a couple of days ago. So um, it, we we get into our our normal um, rule program, trying to, trying to compete for a win. And obviously, we've seen that happen with bicycle riders and, and other guys that have competed in Tour de France and et cetera. So it's a, it's a challenge organizationally and uh, logistically, as well as competitive-wise. So it, it has many variables.
1: So just to explain it for casual fans or those unfamiliar with the rally, UTV is normally like a lower division, right? So you're entering, though, in the top division.
2: Basically, if you date yourself back to when Indy was Indy and you could race a a front engine roadster, you can run a rear engine, you know, um, formula car back like like we saw with Foyt back in the days, um, you could run what you brought. And you could either bring a Gordini like we did before, a Hummer. You know, we've seen the Peugeots. I don't know if you've, you've seen pictures of them, but they're highly sophisticated Formula One cars basically for the dirt. And um, the UTV that we built is very similar. If you look at it, you look at the attention to detail, and it's a it's a Formula One car for the dirt.
1: You used to run a Hummer, a much bigger. We ran the Hummer brand uh,
2: until they got the kibosh on Hummer. You know, um, we had the factory Hummer program, and it was uh, it was one of our our most favorite programs because we could build what we wanted to build. We weren't you know when we were racing NASCAR at the time, and we were doing the Hummer program. Um, the Hummer program allowed us to be innovative. It allowed us to uh, to design and build whatever we wanted to build to be the best. And the Hummers ended up winning, I think, 15 or 16 stages in the Dakar Rally. You know, I think it's the only American vehicle that's ever won specials in the Dakar Rally. And we've come close to winning it. So, you know, if you look at the, the last uh, three vehicles, it's been the Hummer. Then it turned to a Gordini, which was... Um, similar to a Baja truck. And the reason for that is we felt it would be better on the gravel roads down in Argentina. Uh, Then all of a sudden the race turned into more of a dune race. And as the race changes, obviously we got to change our vehicles. And when we found out that 2019 Dakar was going to be 90% dunes, Uh, We looked through our arsenal of vehicles back here in the back of the shop and said, (laughs) that's what we need to build. And we basically pulled out the car that Sheldon Creed has raced the Baja 1000 with. Um, Blade Hildebrand raced it the year before. So we had a car in our inventory uh, and then we just produced two more of them. So we had a team of three.
1: So you're coming here with a smaller car, lighter car than what you've run at the rally before, but you're coming believing you can win the overall title just like you believed you could win it back in the day.
2: I do believe we can win the overall. I think that um, we've got some work cut out for us. I think it's going to be a... the competition is fierce when you when you go up against factories like we do with toyota and mini and and the uh the son-in-law uh or the son of, of mini actually runs a a full-blown program you can imagine what what his program's like that's basically a a factory BMW program that we go up against and then you look at the Toyotas that Alatia, and them will race. We've got a, a fierce group of competitors, there's, uh, there's 25 guys that can win this race. Look at any form of motorsport, um, very, very seldom is there 25 guys in any series that can win a race. And I believe there's 25 guys in the Dakar Rally that can
1: actually win. But you're coming with maybe something innovative that none of those other big teams have. It sounds a little bit. you know, I'm thinking back 94 at Indy with Roger Penske showing up with the engine that with well, expected, locked. right? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I
2: think um, you've hit it spot on right there, and that's exactly what we've done. We've uh, we built a package, and is it going to be as good as them? I don't know. Um, yeah. I think it is based on the experience we have in the dunes, the experience we have in the sand with this vehicle. We believe that we have a car that is uh, definitely capable to compete for the overall. You know, if we didn't think we we could, we wouldn't bring it. And unfortunately, we really won't know until day one. We'll have a good idea of where we're at. And then by day two or three, we should have a lot better idea of where we're at um, challenging for the overall.
1: And by day two or day three, if you're doing really well, do you think more rules changes come down the the pipeline? More rules
2: will definitely come down the pipeline, or they'll be more we'll on us about, what rules we're playing by? You know, we've optimized a bunch of rules. It's 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 very similar to anything that happens in NASCAR, IndyCar. You know, top teams are always pushing that edge, trying to be the yeah. best. And I think that's um that's the part that makes racing for myself, and I know for a lot of the um engineers and imagineers involved in racing, that's the challenge. You know, if you look back at it, how can you have a competitive advantage and and play by the rules? So you know, we think we've. Um, We've optimized these rules, and I think we got a good shot at it.
1: Now, I make that comparison to Roger Penske, of course, Robbie, but he had a lot of money. He had budget where he could go test unlimited amount, getting ready for that 94, and five hundred, which he dominated. You, compared to these other 25 guys who can win this race, I mean, your budget must be probably fractional in some cases versus some of those teams, right? It, it
2: is. It is. I mean, we're fortunate enough, you know, obviously a lot of this... Um, Engineering has been done over the last uh, three years in the development of the, the Wildcat XX. So a lot of the development has been done you know if you look back at it and you look at the amount of money that's been invested into, into this production vehicle uh, with, with you know, molds and pieces and forgings and everything else, there's a lot of parts that have, have been produced um, that would be millions and millions of dollars uh, that we're able to slide them right into our race program. So a lot of the prototype parts that we, um, that we keep producing. Um, you know, there's, there's differentials that were being made last week for us that, uh, that we would never be able to afford without a factory program like this.
1: A lot of your fame and success, Robbie, came from desert racing, which I know is not exactly parallel to Dakar and, and the rally, but it's, it's similar in some ways. And I've heard you say that Baja racing is like the last true form of motorsports. Is that kind of the appeal here of this rally too, And that it's the last true form of motorsports because you can be so innovative, you can be so outside the box in ways that you probably can't do in NASCAR, IndyCar, these other more popular forms of motorsports?
2: Well, you know, you say something there that's quite interesting. You said a lot of my my fame comes from the off-road, which is is cool because that's where I started. Right. You know, if you look back at drivers that have been able to compete in all forms, I don't know if it just came from off road. I mean, 4 24-hour daytona wins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leading the Indy 500 with our own race team. Yeah. Um, you know, we've won IndyCar races, won NASCAR races. I think our our experience level is different than most teams. Especially with with my personal experience level driving for some of the best teams in the world. You know, you look at the the opportunity obviously with Childress and, and you look at the the AJ Foyts back in the day or or the Dan Gurney's. I've um, been fortunate enough to drive with Parnelli Jones, Dan Gurney, Mickey Thompson, A.J. Foyt, and Richard Childress. I mean, that, that pretty much ticks all the all the top boxes. And I'm forgetting two guys that are have been very influential in my career, and that's um, Cal Wells. Uh, a lot of people may not know Cal, but he's been on the Furniture Row program for the last couple of years. He works with Toyota. And then, obviously, uh, Derek Walker, who was um, Roger Pinsky's um, right-hand guy. You know, before Tim Sendrick, it was Derek Walker. So, um you know, we were able to win races and, and all these guys, And you know, I got to credit all these guys for the experience they've taught me over the years of how to be innovative and how to be creative and how to build, um, precise vehicles. And I think, uh, that's one of the advantages I have when it comes down to it is just the
1: experience. And is that the appeal of desert racing or rally racing that you can build what you want like you're doing with this race and and really get creative, be that imagineer, which I know you borrow from Disney <laughs> Yeah, that, that you're talking about there?
2: Well, I, I think you have to be, you know, if you, um, you know, there's a bunch of sides of it. You know, we got our, we got our XX that's now on the market. Um, in 2018, we received UTV of the year with this car. You know, the UTV industry is, is a massive, massive off-road industry today. It's, um, it's really taken over the whole motorcycle industry, if you look at how many CR250 dirt bikes or CR450 dirt bikes they sell, it's a fraction compared to what they sell on UTVs. And if you look at Honda's now in the market now, every, every motorcycle manufacturer is looking to come and play. And, and we were able to, out of this facility, uh, with the help of Articat and Textron, build the UTV of the year. And that's pretty cool when you go up against Honda, Polaris, Can-Am, and, and we pop out UTV of the year again. So it's um, it's a lot of fun.
1: I've heard you say that you feel like UTV is the future of motorsports. Is that why? Because there's such consumer demand?
2: They're definitely it? the future of motorsports. And I think, you know, um, when we finish up this podcast, I'll, I'll show you my vision even for, for oval track and road racing. If you look at a legend car, I look at the UTV, the Textron XX, as basically Xfinity. Truck and legend car for SST. It's a direct lead-in to where we can go with young race car drivers, and not that SST has to be their last stop. Obviously, if you look at myself and Jimmy Johnson, we came back through the Mickey Thompson series back in the day. Sheldon Creed, our our two-time champion, is now, you know, into the uh, is in truck series next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the uh, ARCA champion last year, so you know the um, the experience that off-road teaches you, but it's more of a car control experience. And Jimmy Johnson is another perfect example. He's able to modulate his throttle and understand how to put power to the ground. And that's something that that Sheldon and myself, you know, uh, Rick Mears came from off-road as well. Uh, Casey Mears, there's a bunch of us that came through what was originally the Mickey Thompson series. And that's what we're trying to do with, with SST. But back on to Dakar, I look at the UTV as a perfect training ground that anybody can go to their local Textron dealer and buy one. Um, you know, where can you buy a race car today for fifteen hundred dollars? Basically, fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> and financing, and you're taking this car home, and you can go racing. That's very different than even a Legends car, or a, or a Bandolero or anything like that. And even differently, there's eleven hundred dealers that you could purchase through these through throughout the United States. So it's it's got a, a huge opportunity uh, business-wise um, to to be the future of motorsports, and and I think that's what's What's cool about these cars.
1: When you look at the future of motorsports, Robbie, what do you think it should be? I mean, there's a lot of talk at people look at NASCAR and IndyCar, NASCAR in particular. Are the races too long? Do they need to look at different ways to appeal to people? Obviously, you've got Stadium Super Truck Series that has made some inroads in a lot of ways and is, is partnering with some of these other bigger series. And there's probably some people looking and saying, hey, they're, what they're doing there is maybe things we should be looking at here. Where, where, where do you see? motorsports future evolving and what should it be?
2: Well, I think obviously we, we, we need to always have our, our top levels. You know, I think NASCAR and IndyCar here in America, those are the two premier uh, levels. But then you look at Supercross and then you, and then you come over and you say, okay, well, there's Supercross and there's Stadium Truck, And then you look at Monster Jam. And how do you compare Monster Jam this, but it sells the most amount of merchandise, has the largest youth following. Uh, It was pretty easy for me when I was doing Stadium Super Truck. It's like, okay, I want to take a little bit of IndyCar. I want to take a little bit of NASCAR, a little bit of Supercross and become a legitimate truck series like Monster Jam where there's legitimate races. And if you look at where we've we've built this series from, it's pretty cool that um, that we're able to do that. So Stadium Super Truck is... A series that that obviously I reinvented. I took a little different twist than what Mickey Thompson had, and we play with Indy cars. We're going to play with four Indy car races in 2019. We're playing with uh, three NASCAR races, um, potentially four NASCAR races as well, and then we'll do our own stadiums as well. So, we've uh, we've got a good formula for 2019 uh, with Stadium Super Truck, and then obviously the Dakar Rally program has a direct bu- business relationship straight to the end use customer. Uh, that someone can actually go out and buy a car very similar to what what we're racing at the Dakar.
1: Why did Stadium Super Trucks make sense for you? Why did you see that as a pathway to appeal to fans and be successful?
2: I was part of the Mickey Thompson series uh, back in the day. You know, in in 1989, when I won the championship, it's the same year that Mickey and his wife were murdered. You know, I looked at that and I'm like, man, that was such a great series. We used to put, you know, 50,000 people. We put 79,000 people in Anaheim Stadium. Races today would be ecstatic to put 79,000 people in grandstands. From my vision, Stadium Truck works because where does a Supercross racer go when he's done with his career at 30 years old? You know, there's a lot of, of well-branded racing riders, drivers. Look at Ricky Johnson. Look at Jimmy Johnson. Look at all the guys that came through motocross, then went to Mickey Thompson, and then they branched into other formulas. Um, I wanted to have something that was affordable, uh, that was entertaining and exciting, and would wow fans from you know, from six to 60, because uh, I think that is the most important thing is we got to be able to entertain people. And that's what Stadium Super Truck does is it entertains people.
1: You've been joined in here by your son, Max, who I would presume that's the goal is hooking kids his age to get into motorsports.
2: Well, I think, you know, it's 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 that it's um, it's entertainment. And yeah. if you look at what we've been able to do you know, via the social media side of it, we lead all motorsports in social media. You know, we have more views than NASCAR. We have more views, probably probably more views than NASCAR and IndyCar combined via social media.
1: And, and that's on like Twitter, Facebook, everything? That, that's
2: uh, basically any any short video. Uh, basically, short if, you, if you're looking videos. at what, um, what the fan wants to see, uh, I think this year we had over 100 million views uh, just of, you know, here, here's this image, and here's a, here's a video of, of a three-second clip, or m- more, a 30-second clip. And, you know, some of our stuff, I think Cars Direct is probably our biggest hit that we've ever had. Um, one view, uh, one video view had 38 million views. And had, I think, 25,000 shares or 35,000 wow. shares.
1: And what would that video just have been of a... It's
2: straight from the race. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a Ken Block, Ginkana, Sure. you that's know, that's what I was shot asking. for yeah. video. It's not one of BJ Baldwin's uh, <laughs> videos. This is pure just action from the race. And we're, you know, somebody snipped it from the TV show, posted it through their site. And like I said, I think it's our, it's our largest at 38 million views or something like that.
1: Max is 10? Max is 10 years old. Okay, so somebody like his age w- would th- that appeals to them? Like they like those little bite-sized videos of like. I hey, think you. I think you got to be.
2: You got to be short. You got to be quick and to the point. I think that's what Monster Jam. If you look at how long their motos are, you know their motors are probably the shortest. I think they're a minute and a half or two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you look at Supercross is 18 minutes. Um, SST we're right at 25 minutes for a race, and I think that's a perfect amount of time for a fan to be entertained and excited.
1: You started your career, as you said, Robbie, it, pretty much in this. I know you raced motocross when you were a kid as well, but you, you made a lot of your fame, as we were talking about, starting out in trucks in desert and, and doing that kind of stuff. What's it like to see things kind of evolve to where now that might be <laughs> where motorsports is headed? Is it? Did you always have a feeling it was sort of headed that way, or is it sort of just societal that things changed in a way in the world that made this maybe the destination place? For you? Well, I,
2: I don't, you know, I don't know if we're, gonna, we're ever going to be the destination place, then, but I think it's just it's a. Uh it's a cool formula. And I think, you know, the Dakar is another cool formula. You know, if you can, if you can learn from, from all of them and climb your motorsports career, does it really matter where you end up? Does it matter if, you know, I can remember, you know, seven years ago, Ryan Hunter Ray was testing our nationwide car because he was out, out of an IndyCar right at the time. Now he's one of the top IndyCar drivers, winning the Indy 500, win the championship, uh, driving for Andretti. Um, you know, he's obviously my brother-in-law, but where does that career go and what path do you take? And I think um, kids have a choice of what they want to do. And we want to give them another choice of how they want to hone their skills to get to the top level of motorsports.
1: When you were racing Mickey Thompson and those other trucks 30-something years ago, back in the 80s, did you know then that it had the potential for you maybe to be a series owner?
2: You know, I didn't know if it would ever become a, you know, a, a series owner. I don't think that was one of our our plans from the beginning, I think. um you know, my plan was was to to have a race team, uh, to be able to produce cars, to be able to have fun, and and do what I enjoy doing. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I enjoy most is is building stuff. I still enjoy building cars and and trying to you know be innovative with uh, with our designs, and uh, and try to be a leader in the category. And it doesn't matter if it's NASCAR when we had NASCAR programs, or or IndyCar when we ran those programs, or or with the Textron XX vehicles. You know, you look at another vehicle that um, that we were heavily involved with and how successful it was, was the was the Polaris Razor. Um, you know, John Menard and myself uh, basically started the Polaris Razor program, and uh, you look at how many millions of vehicles those have been sold. It's, uh, it's pretty cool.
1: So going back to Dakar, you turn 50 next month
2: I'm gonna turn 50 uh, three days before the race
1: three days before the race okay yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's that gonna be like turning 50 and then running this race again for the first time in two years
2: Well I, you know I don't think um, you know having the experience for the race is gonna be one thing but obviously this year not having air conditioning uh, out into the heat uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging on me mm-hmm. um, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a difficult race but we've also got two you know very competitive young race car drivers. Uh, run alongside of us with uh, Cole Potts and Blade Hiller Brands. So we've got a three-car team that we're running with. And um, obviously, I'm, I guess I could be the experienced veteran that we're going to try to teach these kids the right way to, to do the Dakar Rally. And it's um, there is so many unknown variables that are going to pop up in the next... Uh, I guess it's going to be about 3 weeks from now it'll all be done but um, there'll be a bunch of challenges that we're going to have to figure out.
1: What are the challenges that you and I mean I guy you well, can't survival is the first yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, living is the first big challenge. Well, I yeah. mean
2: if you look at uh, if you look at the event it's uh, it's obviously dangerous. You know, it's a lot less dangerous in a car than it is in a mo- on a motorcycle. You know, most of the 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 incidents that are life threatening are, are motorcycle uh, incidents but obviously heart rate uh, means a lot. Uh, being 50. I'm going to have to obviously uh, manage my control there. But, you know, with the other side of it, um, you know, I've always been able to drive a car like a video game. And what I mean by that is I just sit back and go for the ride. I don't really take a lot of aggression into driving, even though it may look like I drive aggressively. Um, <laughs> I'm along for the ride. And basically, if, if we continue to drive with that driving style, I think um the Dakar could be a could be a shot at our first Dakar win.
1: When you look at this race, I- your experience in it is that a big edge for you?
2: I think last year we probably ran 60 races. I still run Stadium Super Truck. So, and then we have Baja, and then we ran the we ran UTV Nationals. We've run uh, probably. I would say between the Stadium Super Truck, I think we run 25 races alone just in Stadium Super Truck because we run on Friday and Saturday races. And then you look at the six off-road races, you know, probably probably close to 35 races.
1: So your fitness level then is right where it was probably when you're running NASCAR, IndyCar. No, I time. don't think it is. I don't think no, it's, it's not quite there. Okay. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't believe it
2: is. And I think that is uh, that's a little different. But as far as races, you know, we've been we've been racing. We ran two weeks ago at Glen Helen. Um, we run races all the time. Three weeks ago was the Baja 1000. We continue to race all the time.
1: What's it like for you, Robbie, being in charge of this team? I came in this morning and you're out on the shop floor. I know the cars have been shipped. Obviously, we just learned that from your email there, but you're still a hands-on guy the way you always have been throughout your entire career. You're focusing on the driving side, but then in this case, you're also focusing on have my cars arrived in Peru and made it through port correctly. Logistically, how much of a challenge is that balancing all of that and making sure that you're, you're focusing enough on the driving side, but on the logistics as well?
2: Well, I think we're, you know, obviously I'm focusing on the driver's side, but the logistics side is, is so many moving parts and pieces. Um, you know, I've got Casey Jeffries, who is our, our uh, team manager over here, and he handled a lot of the race car um, parts and pieces, but Then once, you know, with Christmas, a lot of the stuff was coming in about time Christmas, packages missing. Um, We all know how that goes around Christmas time. (laughs) Right. Late delays. Um, So we had about 20 items on our wish list uh, when the cars left that we wished we had this. And the nice thing is we are traveling here in a few days. And as you see, the bags are all lined up through here. And each one of these bags are going to take some of these parts with them. Uh, that's that's part of the the wish list program that you always want to make sure you, you have your parts uh, when you need them.
1: How far out ahead of this race did you decide you were going to do it? I mean, how much prep time have you had?
2: We've been working on the Dakar program for a while. Um, you know, we started um, back when Tour de France was that was, I want to say, about five months ago. Um, and then you look at not only that, we still did the Baja 1000 with the cars. We're continuing to develop the race car as well. And we got it to the point where we, we hope it's reliable enough to be able to go 3,000 miles. You know, When you look at this race and you compare it to other races, that's six Indy 500s, yep.
1: six
2: Daytona 500s. Right. Or if you look at the first third of a season, I want to say it's probably the first third of a season of NASCAR, all in, all in a 10-day period. So you've <laughs> got to have all your parts and pieces ready because you're going to run, imagine running Daytona one day, and the next day you're going to run Bristol. And the day after that you're going to you're going to drive over to Richmond, you're going to race Richmond, <laughs> and the day after that you come back to Martinsville, and then you're going to go to Charlotte. So, it's um it's like combining a third of a NASCAR season into a 10-day
1: period. Just like in those other series where you have one in NASCAR, you've been close to winning this race before.
2: We've been very close. You know, like I said, we I think our our cars uh, between myself, BJ Baldwin, um, Nasser Altia when he drove for us. I think our cars have won 17 specials, which there's only 10 specials in this year's Dakar. But we got to figure out how to not just win specials, but how to be reliable every day. And that's that's one of the things that is is a challenge. And not only is it something you can prepare for, it's something you can't prepare for sometimes because you never know what the train's going to be the next day. You never know. You know, you we we've seen you know torrential downpours where. You had to drive through a river to be able to get there. Well, to be honest, today, we're not prepared to drive through a river. <laughs> you know, But but we're going to have to be prepared when that happens. And and because we race in, in terrain that normally doesn't get weather, when we do, we get major flash flooding.
1: And that's why this is a dangerous event, because so much of it is just... It so many variables. There's yeah.
2: so many variables that you, you cannot anticipate. And hopefully, crossed our T's and dot our I's, but can't forget the J's got a dot too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> is there basically... And I haven't looked up the stats because I don't want to be morbid, but it seems like a motorcycle rider pretty much dies annually in this event.
2: Pretty true, pretty true, and it's um, it like I said, it's more on the motorcycle side of things. Um, you know the um, there what they have to do is different than what we have to do, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is they um, they obviously have to um, they have to be able to to ride and and focus and concentrate and have a bunch of different variables as well. As you've seen with motocross, it's it's a very endurance sport for that for that individual. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what it's like with a three hundred and fifty pound dirt bike in one foot deep of sand, and sometimes you got to lift that thing out, and it's 110 degrees, and you're stuck, and you're digging, and you're doing everything you can to get the vehicle out.
1: When you look at this race, Robbie, it, it's the first time it's being run in Peru in its entirety, right? In
2: its entirety, we've won specials in Peru. My cars have okay. been very, very good in Peru, and that's another positive is we we have been very good with the Hummers in, in Peru. We won, I think we won most of the specials of the year. We should have won the Dakar, and we won most of the specials in Peru.
1: There will be parts of this course that nobody has seen before because the race hasn't been run entirely there. Well, not only
2: do do you not know where you're going, you don't know where you're going until the day you finish before. Really? Basically, (laughs) when you finish, you get handed a road book. Nobody's ever seen the roads. Um, Basically, what that road book is telling you is where you have to go. And basically, it's a scavenger hunt for waypoints uh, because nobody knows where the road's going. So then what happens, we all try to put together our best mapping program we can and try to figure out how are we going to get to point A to point B in the most straight, direct line. Well, what we see in the road book, laying it out on paper, and it says go left five miles and turn right and come back down five miles, and it's like, oh, we could just go across here. Well, when you get there and you think you can go across, it's a 25 foot straight drop off, you know, washout across that the rivers come down and wash the road away. So you can't get, get around there. So you've got you to follow the roadbook pretty good, or you can find yourself seriously lost out there in the desert.
1: And this is where having a navigator also is helpful. That navigator is
2: doing exactly what it is, and that's navigating, making <laughs> sure that he knows where <laughs> he's going at all times so that we don't get lost.
1: Because you've got enough, you've got your hands full driving we got our we definitely have our hands full driving who's who's gonna be helping you out doing that
2: i've got kellen walsh uh navigating with me again he is uh he's been my navigator um for i want to say four or five of the dakars uh maybe more and um he's done he's done a great job with us so um he's a he's a very experienced motorcycle rider himself at dakar he's won uh he's won a special down at in africa senegal i think he won the last special of the day um, down in, in senegal not only is he capable of navigating, he's also very capable of riding and driving. He's he's a he's a very experienced guy.
1: Then the special is that sort of just another word for like stage. Is that uh, sort you of you could call it a
2: day, or you can gotcha. call okay. a special. It, like I said, it's a, it's you go to Bristol and you run Bristol. Yeah, and that's over in the Bristol region. You go run that race, and then you yeah. go over to Martinsville and you run gotcha. the Martinsville region. Uh, region. So a special is a race for the day, and inside of the Dakar Rally, there's ten races that happen to make up the Dakar Rally.
1: Do you think it's a little bit of a leveler and that you know, no one obviously can test? As you said, no one knows what the courses are. Does that help you being a smaller team competing against these bigger teams that they don't have any sort of built-in advantage where they can go and figure well, out that if, terrain? Well, if we
2: that. could go test, we would go test. Um, so, it's you know, it's, um, <laughs> we, we would all do it if we could. Yeah. B- big or small, we would all be there trying to figure out how to map the roadbook. But that's part of the challenge and the ambiance of the Dakar Rally is you don't know where you're going the next day so imagine pulling up at the daytona 500 and dropping the green flag and not knowing where the course is at that's basically what we're doing that's which funny. is a pretty cool challenge <laughs> because you know for that day they could say okay go down you're going to turn in you're going to go through the infield you're going to race through the infield here you are going to go down to daytona beach you're going to drop onto the beach you're going to go 35 miles down daytona beach uh, on the sand and then you're going to jump up on the highway and you're going to go 20 miles on the highway in a speed zone and we're going to drop you back over there in Volusia County. And you're going to do, you know, through the marshlands for 100 miles and get back to Daytona. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's really, you know, it sounds funny and we laugh about it, but it's real. Yeah. This is what's going to happen on day one is they're going to hand us a road book and they're say, here he is. You're going to go. I think we know that we're going 150 miles on day one and we're going to figure out how to get there.
1: I think I'm understanding the appeal of this to Robbie Gordon. It sounds like a Robbie Gordon kind of race. <laughs> it well, sounds like your your thing.
2: It's it's a... it's. A kind of race that anybody that loves a challenge, and that 's what the dakar is it 's the ultimate challenge
1: do you miss it about ten years ago It moved to South America from its origins in Senegal and Africa. Do you miss that at all or do you or has it found its own niche and home here in South America well,
2: I think um, I got to be honest the South america uh, dakars have been a lot better for for everybody involved um, you know I think uh, when you when you look at the dakar. When we were in Africa, don't get me wrong, is is very very similar terrains. You know, the Atacama Desert is just gnarly down through there. That's in Chile, but it, it winds itself over into Peru and, and goes into Argentina. Uh, it's some of the toughest uh, deserts that I've ever encountered. But not only that, it's um it's just a, an an ultimate challenge. But there's spectators, and there's spectators by the millions. It's not there's it's not there's a few you know thousand people here. Um, I still remember when we started the Dakars and you go 35 miles on the freeway and the freeway would be shut down to one lane and there'd be 10 deep of people. And Rob can show you, you know, some of the, uh, the pictures and stuff, but it's, um, it's something like you can never imagine here in this country, um, the the fanatic following that the Dakar has is pretty
1: cool. Yeah, it's something we were just talking with your guy Rob Harris here about. He was saying when he's gone to these races before, people are chanting your name. He's like, how do all these people know Robbie? And that's symbolic of the magnitude, significance of this race and the impression you've made on it worldwide. That must give you an enormous sense of pride to know that it's it's reverberated like that for you.
2: Yeah, it's been. It, like I said, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great challenge, and um, you know, it's uh, it's one that we're we're looking forward to in 2019 so hopefully this is the year that we uh we bring back a win uh for sure hopefully some specials and uh, and a good good result for for all of our partners toy tires and textron and and king shocks and everybody that's supporting us
1: what does it mean for your legacy robbie if you're able to put this on your resume
2: well i think you know one competing in it is a good thing um two is winning you I know mean, everybody wants to win Unfortunately, at the end of the day, only one team wins. And uh, it's the team that's the best prepared and the best organized. And uh, that's why, you know, today um, I'm still running around the shop, making sure that we've got every part and every piece that we need to be able to compete for the win.
1: You're about to turn 50. Earlier in the podcast, you ticked off all the owners that you've driven for. I'm sure that you're reminiscing, you're reflective about what your career has meant. Where do you feel like your legacy is right now? I listened to the Dinner with Racers podcast that you did last year, and you had this great quote that you've been fortunate to be like Madonna and be able to reinvent yourself every 10
2: years. Well, I think you have to. Yeah. If you don't do that, you become uh, sterile. And you know, I think uh, you've got to be exciting at all times. And, and she was one that was able to, to continue her career for a long time. And um, I want to be able to do the same. And if you look at the, the products that we've been able to develop over the years and the, the trends and, and things that we've been able to, uh, to change uh, has been a lot of fun.
1: When you look back, it sounds like you have no regrets about great things in IndyCar. You won an IndyCar, you won a Champ Car, you led the Indy 500 and nearly won. NASCAR, you have wins, Cup, Xfinity with your own team. When you look back on all of it, I mean, right now it seems like this is your thing right now, the off-road thing, the the super stadium trucks thing. But do you feel like you've made an impact, even though I know some people talk about, ah, he should have won a NASCAR championship, he could have won the Indy 500. It seems like you have no regrets, like, looking back on everything.
2: No, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, like i said uh when you when you walked in if if i would have stayed as as a race car driver for driving for one team you know would i have a a championship i don't know maybe maybe not you know it depends yeah. uh depends if you're sitting in the right seat at the right time uh there's a lot of variables that go into uh to winning you know championships and uh there's a, there's it a, takes a lot of people to do that so you know, I look at my buddy Jimmy Johnson, who's been very, very successful, winning championship after championship, and it's going to be interesting to see how him and Chad do separate next year. Uh, that that'll be really, really interesting to see how that goes down and and uh, and which one comes out on top because they were great together.
1: Any chance we'll see you in an Indy 500, which is now an NBC in the future, or maybe a <laughs> NASCAR race in the future?
2: You know, we've we've looked at the Indy 500. I looked at the Indy 500 very serious last year. You know, is that something I want to do? Um, you know, I think we've got. We got some pretty cool products going on right now. And I don't know if it's um if it's worth the roulette wheel. You know, it's um Indy five hundred is uh is is obviously uh if you look at what happened with, with young Robert Wickens, who I think was was probably one of the, the most awesome talents, you know, coming up through the sport. Um, you know, you look how quick that changes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a risk that you have to be willing to take and um and I don't know with with what we have going on in Max's career and everything else if this is uh, the risk that I'm willing to take right now.
1: We're going to see Max in some racing maybe, maybe Max in the will,
2: Max will be my uh, my Indy 500 uh, <laughs> kamikaze pilot, you know. So I think it's uh, it's it's been cool. Uh, it's been it's been a fun career, and um, you know it's it's far from over.
1: And NASCAR, um,
2: you know, road course could interest me. The Roval would be uh, would be a lot of fun. You know, I think yeah. um, today I would still be uh, you know top of the board when it came to road racing and um, I think that comes down to experience and being able to control a car, and that's that's exactly what my stadium super truck will do for young drivers. It'll teach them how to control a car like we're seeing with Sheldon Creed.
1: Certainly always fun to watch, no matter what you're racing, Robbie. Really appreciate you coming on here, and we'll be looking forward to what you're uh, doing here at the Dakar Rally, which people can see highlights of on NBCSN. Thanks for sitting with
2: me. Yeah, we look forward to being on NBC. Obviously, uh, with your whole group down there in Dakar, it's, it's always a lot of fun with them.
1: All right, Robbie. Thanks again for uh, taking the time. I know you're a busy, man. I really appreciate you sitting down. All right. Thank you, guys. And Robbie Gordon really was a busy man on that day. What you heard at the beginning of this episode, just as we were about to begin taping, Robbie had gotten an email, as you heard from Dakar Rally officials and organizers, that his cars had arrived in the port of Lima, Peru. So he had to reply to that and authorize transport before our conversation even got started. So obviously there were some important priorities for him to handle before squeezing in an hour with us. Thanks to him and thanks to Rob Harris, who is Robbie's ace social video digital media guru. He helped coordinate this interview on very short notice. Again, this was amidst much thrashing in the team's shop last week, and I appreciate Rob helping make it happen. We did this conversation a couple of days after Christmas, and Robbie and his team of more than a dozen were less than a week away from leaving for Peru. By the time you hear this, they should be there, getting prepped for the 41st running of an event that will begin on January 6th and run through January 17th. And you can keep abreast of the progress of Robbie's team and others on NBCSN. NBCSN will air daily updates, highlights, and interviews of the Dakar Rally starting January 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern with a special show about Robbie Gordon and his team. You also can stay abreast of Dakar Rally happenings at NBCSports.com by going to nbcsports.com slash motors. And also check out planetrobby.com for updates from his team, which should be posting videos. And just a little more background on Robbie and the rally. This will mark his 12th start in the event. He is the first American in Dakar rally history to win a stage and the first to earn an overall podium finish. Since his 2005 debut, he has 17 stage wins and 5 top 15 overall finishes with a best of third in 2009. So though you would expect nothing less than the boundless swagger of Robbie Gordon vowing to win the overall title this year, even though he's competing against much larger and much better funded teams, the confidence does stem from a very successful history in this event. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is our first episode of 2019, and though this one was only tangentially related to NASCAR, I promise there will be more stock car-related episodes coming soon. NASCAR's preseason gets cranked up in a few weeks, and then Speed Weeks in Daytona is next month leading into the Daytona 500. I've got some fresh ideas for some narrative-style podcasts to try this season with NASCAR. You'll also be hearing more variety on the NASCAR on NBC podcast this year as NBC Sports Group has expanded its motorsports portfolio. I'm very enthused to be headed to Daytona International Speedway this weekend to cover the annual ROAR test sessions for the Rolex 24. NBC Sports will carry full-season coverage of IMSA this year, with more than 100 exclusive hours of coverage, starting with the Rolex 24, live on Saturday, January 26th. I'm lining up some sports car guests for the podcast over the next few weeks, heading into the Rolex 24, hopefully some people and topics that you don't want to miss. And I'm also looking forward to having some riders on this season as well, as NBC Sports Group begins an exclusive multi-year deal to broadcast Monster Energy AMA Supercross. That begins with the season opener in Anaheim, California, this Saturday, January 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. And that kicks off 15 consecutive weeks of Supercross on NBC, NBCSN, NBCSports.com, the NBC Sports app, and the NBC Sports Gold Package, which is available by subscription. So there is a plethora of motorsports coverage to look forward to this year on NBC Sports and the NASCAR NBC podcast. As always, I'm interested in all of your ideas. So if you have any about people or subjects you want to hear about or from, please tweet them to me. At Nate Ryan is my Twitter handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.